Welcome to the Realtors Land Institute podcast, the voices of land, the industry's leading land real estate organization. Hello, this is Justin Osborne, accredited land consultant with the Wells Group Real Estate Brokerage in Colorado and New Mexico. On today's podcast, we're going to hear from Gary Hubble, accredited land consultant with United Country Colorado Brokers. Gary Hubble's a native of Western Colorado. He's an expert in land, ranches, farms, country homes, luxury properties, resorts, hunting properties, and rural businesses. Gary has a very good working knowledge of real estate law regarding marijuana and hemp groves. Thank you for joining us today, Gary. Good morning. Nice to be here. Well, there's a lot of conversations going on right now, uh, not only just in the West, but across the country about uh, specifically the hemp industry and how it's changed, just what we've seen with irrigated farmland values the, the past couple of years. And really looking forward to talking to you today about this. And I guess my first question would kind of be about the, the government regulations for our listeners that are not aware uh, kind of educate us on what's going on right now in this industry. Well, interestingly enough, and a lot of people know this <clears throat> on a national basis, Colorado was really the pine, pioneer in the hemp and marijuana industry as far as deregulating or, or instituting state regulations for cannabis products. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand the distinctions between hemp and marijuana. Well, you know, it used to be that, that uh, greenbacks, actually uh, American currency, was printed on hemp paper. And there were all kinds of uses for, for hemp, such as there's a reason why a, uh, a sailing ship, a clipper ship, uh, why the sails are called canvas, because it sounds like cannabis. Those were not cotton sails. They were hemp sails. Uh, Betsy, Betsy Ross, when she sewed the, uh, the first flag for the colonies, that was out of hemp fiber. So um, hemp has had a, a really long and interesting history with our, our, uh, our country. And actually uh, back in World War II, um, we were uh, incentivizing as a government, we were incentivizing farmers to, to plant hemp because of all the rope that was needed for all the sailing ships. And, you know, you think about the, the soldiers on D-Day um, climbing down those, those lattice ladders uh, from, a, from a ship into a troop transport how did they do that? Well, it was on a hemp rope, you know, so, so uh, hemp has had many, many uses over the years and, and, and was uh, unfairly stigmatized as, as being ditch weed or, you know, the, the, the wildwood flower and all that, you know, you heard that, that old Jim Skagg song. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it is a relative of cannabis and, and it is a cannabis plant just as a, a uh, miniature donkey is a relative to a horse, you know, so uh, they're, they're both in the equine family. So um, you can't, you could smoke a doobie as long as a telephone pole from hemp and never get stoned. But what, what Colorado did was they, they instituted uh, legislation to, and, and, and regulations so that uh, a, a hemp um, product could not have more than 0.3% THC tetrahydrocannabinol, and, and uh, so the THC is what gets you stoned. And uh, so if it create, if, if the plant had more than 0.3% THC, you could actually be forced to, to destroy the crop if it, if it went hot 
quote unquote. And so um, we've, we've uh, embarked in this new world where, uh, you know, now today's, today's marijuana that's, that's commercially grown and sold can be very high THC. It can be 20 or 25% THC. So the, the difference of course, between 0.3% and 20% is vast. Uh, you could smoke a hemp joint and never get stoned. However, some people say that the CBD qualities in that hemp is, uh, I, I have a friend that smokes it uh, for just pain relief because of the, the, the um, cannabidiol, which is a CBD uh, product, which he says it's just like squirting uh, WD-40 in my joints. And uh, so it relaxes his joints, makes him feel better, but it doesn't get him stoned. So um, th that, that's why um, hemp has been such an interesting plant. Yes, it's related to marijuana. No, it doesn't get you stoned. But uh, so take it from there, Justin, you, you have some questions. Well, yeah, and that's, I think, the biggest confusion in the industry right now is that, um, and not even in the industry, but outside the industry too, is there's so many people just associate the two as one and the same. And there's an education process like you're talking about right here that is distinguishing the two is saying, no, they're not one and the same. These are two totally different products. Yeah, they might be uh, similar in that they come from uh, similar plants, but the THC component is not there. And so um, thank you for explaining that to the listeners. And my next question would kind of pertain to uh, how to harvest this. I mean, you can't just walk up to your, your local ag store that you see all these combines laying out and say, all right, let's, let's start looking at all the different options that exist for harvesting hemp. So how do you go about getting the machinery and talk a little bit about the process that is involved in getting it from field to a finished product. Well, let's, let's actually back up a little bit and, and explain that legally in the state of Colorado, you can grow marijuana and you can grow hemp. Uh, you have to get a license. It's fairly simple. I, you know, we've, I've done it a couple of times in getting my hemp license. Um, and Marijuana, uh, Colorado allows an individual person to grow up to six plants per person in a household with a maximum, I believe it's a maximum of 12 plants per household, but that must be grown indoors. And, and Justin, you've seen it yourself. I mean, how many times in your broker in Bayfield and Durango, Colorado, how many times in the past five years have you shown property and found a pot plant? <laughs> I'm going to guess just, just the past five years or the past, the past 19. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is a frequent occurrence. And, and because uh, Colorado has relaxed their marijuana laws and, but, but to commercially cultivate marijuana, it all has to be grown indoors. And a lot of people don't realize that about commercial production of marijuana. It's if, if you have a grow license and you're, you're in the business I'm going to say 98% of that product is grown indoors. And, it, and, and it's a matter of cutting down that big marijuana plant and, and drying it in, in a, you know, some kind of an indoor venue to dry it. And, and, you know, you take very careful care of those buds of marijuana and so forth. But um, the hemp is grown outside and, and it's grown in massive quantities where somebody might have, you know, a big commercial marijuana grower may have, a couple acres of greenhouses, which is, you know, 86,000 square feet of greenhouses. So that's all grown indoors. But when you're talking about 
50 or 100 acres of hemp grown outdoors, now the whole the, the problem multiplies itself exponentially as to how to how to harvest it and, and how to dry it and how to prepare it for consumption. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't realize about um, about hemp is that it's very, very sticky. If, if you were to walk through a field of hemp plants that were, you know, I'm 5'10", that were this tall, and you're wearing a pair of, you know, khaki pants, like a pair of, uh, you know, Carhartts, work pants like that. By the time you walked from one end of the field to another through those pants, uh, through those plants, and the, the plants are rubbing against your legs, your, your jeans would be covered in a sticky layer of a, kind of a hard shell, almost like turpentine, um, where it's, it's, it, it would take you three or four washes to get it out of your clothes, okay? So if, uh, if you grab the, the end of the bud, you know, and if I use my hands like this, the cola of a plant is probably, oh, maybe from this tall to that tall, maybe I'm, I'm gonna say six to 18 inches. The cola is the bud on the tip of the plant. If you would take your hand and wrap around that cola and, and grip it like that, your hand would be completely sticky and covered with this sticky mess, okay? And it, it'd take you four or five hand washings or, or maybe some of that, that goo stuff that the mechanics use to actually get it off your hand. <clears throat> Why do I say all this? Because that, it does the same thing to your farm equipment. So if you're used to, if you got a, an old uh, Heston 8400 swather and you say, well, I'll just cut it with that. Oh yeah, <laughs> really? And so the, the sickle bars and the, the uh, augers on a swather will typically get all jammed up and gummed up with that, with that sticky hemp material and that, that oil that comes off the hemp plant, which is actually the product that, that you wanna refine and use. And so it, it presents a whole new set of challenges for a, a hemp farmer as to how in the world do I cut this stuff? And how in the world do I, do I bale it? Do I, do I dry it? Do I put it in a wagon and go take it to a drying facility? You know, do I kiln dry it? Do I air dry it? And so a lot of people have hung it in barns like old tobacco barns and, and so forth. And, but now as, as we talk about the FDA and the uh, USDA getting involved and the DEA and all these, these various government agencies, the days of, you know, we're talking about a medicinal grade product and the days of hanging your hemp plants in an old hay barn so that the, the, the barn swallows and the, and the mice can run over it and crap on it and stuff like that, it's not very sanitary. And that's, you know, ultimately that's gonna go away. So it, it's a nascent industry. It is a, uh, there are many, many problems associated with growing hemp that really haven't been conquered yet mechanically, legislatively, regulatory, um, all these different aspects of growing hemp. It's, it's still kind of a, a, a new process. Well, I've, I've had some of my clients talking about a logistical problem and, and you just briefly hit on it with the, the drying facility part, but these guys, you know, they, they get it, they get it harvested. And now they're saying, look, we're having to drive hundreds of miles to get this processed. And I'm sure part well, of that what is processing, you know, that's the other question. What are you processing for? Because there are several different types of hemp. And, and I'll, uh, if you don't mind, I'll jump in with that. Um, 
there, there are, and I call it CBD hemp and, or medicinal hemp and, I, and, uh, and then industrial hemp, okay? So the, if many people have discovered that the cannabidiol, CBD, CBG, CBN, uh, these, these cannabinoids that are plant, found in the plant are medicinally helpful to them. And so it could be inflammation. We've had people uh, anecdotally, of course, you know, it hasn't been researched to the nines yet, but people that have suffered from rheumatoid arthritis and, and uh, could be prostate cancer, colon cancer, uh, various afflictions and ailments where the CBD and the, the hemp uh, cannabinoids have, have been very helpful medicinally for those people. So you, you, uh, to, to help those people out, what you do is you refine the oil into crude oil or into distillate and then into isolate, okay? And so there's three basically refinements of that oil. The, the sticky stuff that I was telling you is the, the oil and the cola of the plant, okay? But then, and, and those, those plants, you want to grow them like a Christmas tree. You wanna grow them, you know, as big around at the bottom and they, they'll top out at maybe five or six feet high, okay? And each individual plant, you, a lot of people plant them on a five foot by five foot spacing. So you've got a hemp plant like a Christmas tree every five feet and the, the next row over is five feet away. Then you have what's called industrial hemp or what I call, many, many people call it industrial hemp where you're growing that same, basically very, very similar plant, but the goal is to grow fiber and seed and you grow those plants very close together. So in, a, in you know, that space in my hands right there, you may have 10 plants growing that are all like tall and thin like a reed and they can get 10 or 12 feet tall. And the, the goal there is to, is to harvest it and to create what's called herd, H-U-R-D. And that herd is then processed in, and smashed into the, the uh, fibers that become either cellulose, which is, you know, create paper with, or um, then you use the outer, the, the outer layer of the, of, of the plant to create the hemp rope, the jute and the fiber, you know, that, that uh, for uh, t-shirts or jeans or whatever from there. And then you've got the, the, the seed head at the top of that, which, which will yield, you know, each plant might yield a couple hundred seeds and it's, it's a grain just like anything else. Uh, you know, when you, you have a recipe for, uh, it calls for like a, a dessert for crushed nuts, like crushed almonds in the bottom of a, a cheesecake or something like that. Well, my wife uses hemp seed for that. She crushes hemp seed and uses it for the, for the crust on a dessert quite often. And some people put it on their cereal, other people, you know. So, there, uh, so there's a, a wide range or variety of uses. And you really got to think about, okay, what am I growing hemp for? What is my goal here? And how am I going to harvest this and plant it? And the answer is a lot of people really don't know yet. So, so it's still in the initial phases of figuring all that out. Well, it sounds like we just got us a new uh, item for our Colorado Cowboy Auction, man. A cheesecake, oh. <laughs> a hill cheesecake would go over, I think, exactly yeah. well. Either that or it could be a T-shirt or a backpack or, a, you know, a jacket or something like that, you know. So it could be, a, could be an American flag. Who knows? Well, let's talk about what this done for the land values. What have you seen happen specifically kind of where you're at, if you had, let's say some irrigated land 
uh, five years ago before all this took off. Uh, how was that affected five years ago to where those prices are now? Well, we kind of went through a gold rush here in Western Colorado, and I'm sure that, and you, you have a lot of similar properties uh, down in Durango and Bayfield and Ignacio and, and so forth that we do. And, and I've, I've uh, Crawford, Hotchkiss, Paonia, Montrose, Delta, uh, even down into uh, Fruta and, and uh, the, the Grand Valley and, and up into the Roaring Fork Valley, you know, uh, Silt, Newcastle those places with good irrigated ag land where you can break the soil and you can plow it under and, and replant with hemp. We, we did go through a gold rush. Um, really, it kind of peaked in about 2018, 2017 and 2018. It's, it's kind of crested and back on the other side now uh, where you know an acre of good productive agricultural farmland that might be used for corn, uh, pino beans, onions, those kinds of crops. It's that that land was selling readily. It might have sold prior to that at seven to seventy five hundred an acre, seven thousand to seventy five hundred an acre, and then it went and it, you know we saw some farms sell that were you know all in with the set of improvements. You know, an old farmhouse and old corrals and a couple of hay barns and so forth. They were selling at ninety eight hundred bucks an acre with the whole kit and caboodle. So um, we just had a, a, a sale the other day of some class A farmland in Olathe where the, that farmer um, was leasing it to the guy that grows that Olathe sweet corn. And, and that was some of his favorite ag ground, the guy that, that, that uh, grows that Olathe sweet corn. It was one of his favorite, favorite properties for that. And uh, it, it sold at $8,100 an acre. Just so you know, I mean, that's a market comp. So it crested and a lot of that came because uh, we, we had a real gold rush of people getting into it in, in um, 20, 2018 was really the year where most people really, really got into it. And anybody that had three acres or five acres, you know, they were trying it. And uh, then, then there was a lot of people that, that went big and went, you know, 80 acres, 100 acres, 300 acres into hemp. And so the, the number of acres, and I'd hate to quote a number to you. I don't know exactly what the numbers are in Western Colorado. You, you may have that number handy, Justin, but um, it, I think it was, you know, well over 10,000 acres, maybe as many as 30,000 acres went into hemp production. A lot of people failed. Yours and me, me included. Uh, we, we grew a great crop in 2018. And uh, it was a fantastic crop. We, we produced 110,000 pounds of biomass, which was selling for up to say $50, $60 a pound. Do the math. And that's under $2 a pound now, isn't it? Correct. So, uh, so back in 2018, if you had a good grow, let's say you grew, uh, you know, let's say 10,000 pounds of biomass, that might've been a $500,000 payday. You know, it, it was, they were, there were some big numbers out there, big numbers. Those numbers are no longer there. 2019 saw a crash in the market. As you said, what, what $2 a pound? I heard a buck and a half. Um, I just got off the phone prior to this call with uh, Wacy Clark who uh, owns and manages Colorado Hemp Solutions in, uh, uh, in Grand Junction and uh, coloradohempsolutions.com if anybody wants to get on Wacy's website. 
And uh, he is one of the people that has been a mainstay in this industry. And he said, yes, we had a real bumper crop in 2019, prices cratered, uh, it, and, and government regulation got in, in, in the way of those prices. And so, so but, but bottom line is he's hoping that prices will recover to five to $10 a pound for quality biomass here in 2020 and, and for the foreseeable future. So it's not gonna have that gold rush aspect to it that it did before, but the producers that are out there that have a good supply chain and know where they're sending it and know where to, to get it processed and so forth should see a viable economy and a viable business going forward. So with as saturated as the market is, I guess that's probably just what happens is you start getting the, the people that were dabbling, that were experimenting, saying, you know, that was fun. I'm glad I tested it. I'm glad I tried it. Not for me. And do they take on a whole new adventure, you think? Or do they sell that land and we're going to start seeing a whole bunch of uh, irrigated farmland get saturated coming on the market as a result of the hemp industry having uh, just way more supply than there is demand for? Well, there were some farmers that, that are established farmers and, you know, a guy runs, you know, he might've had 800 or a thousand acres of corn alfalfa, you know, that, that kind of irrigated ground. And he said, yeah, I'll try 50 acres of hemp. It worked or it didn't work or whatever he did, but now it's back in hay or alfalfa or uh, corn or pinnel beans or onions. But you do have those people that bought land and these ventures, and I can think of one in particular um, where they made a huge play and they made a huge splash. And these guys uh, were making a lot of promises to a lot of people and uh, they invested very, very heavily. They had athletes and entertainers and, you know, people throwing money at it. And uh, they, they went upside down. And uh, so not only is their ground going to come up somewhere for some use, but they, they built these huge, beautiful greenhouses that were a huge investment. So, so the question is, what do you, if, if, if it's not going to be hemp, what do you do to repurpose those greenhouses? Is it going to be tomatoes or vegetables or, or, you know, peppers or, or what, you know, so there's well, some unique plays being made there. Yeah. It'll certainly be interesting to see where the market goes with, Gary, any other points on the strict government regulations that we're seeing right now across the country in this industry? That's a, a very interesting question because, you know, the, the DEA had their hands on marijuana and a lot of people went to jail for marijuana possession or distri distribution and stuff like that over the years. They're not willing to let that go very easily, right? And so you've got the DEA and the FDA and the USDA, all of these government entities trying to figure out how, on a federal level, how do we handle this new thing that we've got here called hemp? And even how do we handle marijuana going forward? Well, uh, so what they have done is, is uh, now state of Colorado said on their testing, they said, you have to test your plants and you nip off a part here on the lower part of the plant and a part here on the middle part of the plant and a part here on the top part of the plant. And then we'll, we'll all mix it in a bag, mix it together, and then we'll come up with a, a, a THC content. And heck, even our, our grow last year was 0.36% THC, and the state of Colorado said, ah, you're fine, you're, you're close enough to 0.3%. We're not gonna make you burn the whole crop. Okay, thank you very much, state of Colorado. Now, um, 
the federal government says the only place that you can take your sample is on the very tip top of the of the plant that cola up there where it is the most intense concentration of thc so there are growers out there going look i, I can't predictably grow a crop that will be under 0.3% at that one testing point. And so a lot of people are backing off because they're saying, look, I don't think I can do this. And, and if you don't average the, the THC content of the whole plant, I don't want to spend several hundred thousand dollars and all this effort and, and taking land out of production to grow a crop that you're going to tell me I might have to burn. And so, um, so that has inhibited a lot of the production and then uh, when I just got off the phone with Wasey Clark from Colorado Hemp Solutions, he said that uh, they have decided to kick the can down the road for yet another year on deciding how to integrate this crop with the FDA and, and with the USDA and, and, and get it in, uh, in their regulations with the FDA as something that you can use as a joint supplement or something that you can use for arthritis and so forth and actually make it a legal thing to put in uh, a, a medicine. So we're still another year away from the federal government getting their act together, slowly but surely. And so that has had a chilling effect on, on hemp production going forward. Gary, you talked about uh, you may have to burn it. If it doesn't test in at the right amount, then they're gonna make you burn it. And I'm curious, if other crops are destroyed, there's crop insurance to help for that. Is there uh, anything like that with hemp? Yeah, they're, they're just coming up with crop insurance for hemp. And uh, so that is out there. It's again, like I say, it's a real nascent industry. We're just getting started. And so the, uh, uh, the, the factor of having the, the, that crop insurance available is coming on board. And uh, people have gotten crop insurance but it's really in the infancy of that industry as well. Gary, I'd like to thank you for your time and for sharing your expertise with our audience. Uh, for our listeners that would like more information on industrial hemp and other hot topics in the land real estate industry, the Realtors Land Institute blog is an invaluable resource. You can visit rliland.com slash blog for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the Voice of Land podcast presented by the Realtors Land Institute. Thanks for listening.